Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Comerica Park in Detroit. It's the Tigers kicking our butts. Eight to the Cleveland Guardians, nothing. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field. The thing I enjoy, watching baseball being played. And we got to love it while it's here, right? Uh... Man, I was really looking forward to this one because I was working all day on Saturday and uh, I was working an event and I knew I could have the game on next to me and I was like, oh, I'll actually be able to pay attention. I won't be, you know, I won't be off doing family activities. I won't be, you know, uh, doing dad things, walking the dog. You know, I'll be sitting there watching the game from beginning to end. It doesn't happen very often as much. Despite the fact that I do this podcast, it does not happen very often. And then the Guardians go and put up a stinker of a game. And boy, that was not an entertaining way to pass the workday. Uh, we're we're going to talk about it, but we're n- honestly, we're not going to dwell on it. We're not. It's the second to last game of the season. There's people out there on Guardians Twitter land that actually would prefer if the Tigers beat us in this series. Because it it moves us into like a top 10 draft pick at that point, and the Major League Baseball draft is becoming more and more important. I mean, let's face it, if this were Browns or Cavs season and the season went the way it did, you would be looking at that draft uh, order and think, well, you know, if, if we actually lose that last game, you know, it, moved, it moves us up draft picks, like it moves us up in the lottery, like it changes things. And yeah, the Major League Baseball draft is becoming... It's getting to that point uh, where you you actually can change the futures of your franchise uh, with the right draft picks. So, uh, yeah, so there's some people out there that are that are okay with this, uh, you know, because winning second place in the American League Central doesn't get you anything. But uh, despite that, I never want to see our team lose. Like it, it's hard for me to wrap my brain around that. I still want to go out there and see us win. I wanted to see good things for Tristan McKenzie. I uh, wanted to see our young hitters have nice moments, uh, despite the fact that Francona doesn't put them in the lineup. I I know, I know. I see who our eight and nine hitters are. I I told you we're we're just done. We're done with that. We we understand who Francona is. We know we it's predictable at this point. He was going to do that. Um, I'm sure Bo will be in there for the finale. Uh, so yeah, so the Guardians put up an absolute stinker, and uh, yeah, it's no, it's no fun on a Saturday. But there, there are some things we do need to talk about, and uh, probably the most important thing to talk about. Oh, sorry, I also want to point out the fact that the Tigers threw a bullpen game against us, and we were hitting early. Uh, I thought, I thought we were going to have some opportunities early, and. You know, a bullpen game is always dangerous because you never know which one of these guys is going to fall apart. Turns out none of them. Turns out absolutely none of them. Uh, Every single time. They threw one, two, three, four, five, six, seven pitchers at us, and we couldn't get to any of them. We end up going uh, one for ten with runners in scoring position, and we leave 12 on base. And I believe that one hit was probably... Jose Ramirez's infield single in the ninth inning to load the bases. That was probably the one hit with runners in scoring position. So, so frustrating on the day. Miles Straw actually goes two for three with a walk. I, he's 
for some reason, just absolutely having like the best week ever to end the season. He's actually threatening at getting his OPS over 600 for the season, which I feel like it's much easier to complain about Miles Straw when the OPS has a five uh, to start than a six. Even though having a 600 OPS is nothing to brag about. Um, All right. So what are the things that we need to actually talk about in this game? What are the big takeaways in this game? Um, uh, Tristan McKenzie. We got to look at Tristan McKenzie's health. We got to ask the question, what happened to Eli Morgan and James Karachek? Now, I know everybody's going to jump and say, Davey, James Karachek, the sticky stuff. It was the sticky stuff. I I know, but still, I want to dive in and figure out, what the heck? Why can't Karajek figure out how to pitch? Everybody else, everybody else in Major League Baseball figured out either how to pitch without the sticky stuff or figured out how to just do stuff that they can't figure out, that they can't detect. I don't know. For some reason, Karajek has not been able to pitch since they took that stuff away from him. And uh, it's frustrating. Karajek and Eli Morgan used to, used to be something. They used to be something. There's a lot of teams out there that would kill for Karinchek's uh, fastball, curveball combo with the velocity he could throw at. So what happened there? But first, Tristan McKenzie, much, much better than his start against the Orioles. Uh, he goes four and a third in this one, only gives up three hits, one earned run, three walks, only one strikeout in this one. But hey, three walks is better than what it was. What was it against the Orioles? Uh, he only, I mean, he only lasts into the second inning against the Orioles, so it's not a deep performance. But he had six walks in that one in 52 pitches. So, okay, a little bit better. Three walks over 77 pitches. He's hard hit seven times. All right, so what was different here? Well, he actually was commanding his fastball a little bit here. If we go over to the Illustrator, he could hit the strike zone with that fastball. He could throw it inside and out. He can pound the strike zone with that fastball. Uh, as opposed to his last start against the Orioles, where, uh, if you remember, everything, that fastball was up at the top of the zone. He had a real hard time getting it down into the zone. The curveball was nowhere close to the strike zone last time against Baltimore. This time, he's actually throwing that curveball for strikes. He's able to keep it on the plate uh, and then throw it down below the knees when he wants to, and he he was actually mixing in some sliders this time, and he threw some sliders for strikes, could hit the strike zone with the slider, and then again, drop it below the plate when he wanted to. So uh, going over to the player breakdown page, look, he's not getting the whiffs right now. He's not getting the swing and miss. Uh, That fastball velocity was still down just a little bit. Um, His spin was down just a little bit. Uh, the movement was about the same uh, as what he's averaged all year. Uh, so he wasn't getting the swing and miss. Look, only three whiffs on 34 swings. They did foul off 16, so that does help. They weren't able to put the curveball in play despite swinging at it five times. Uh, yeah, so uh, the fastball they were able to put in play, they did average a hard hit ball off his fastball, 95.2. But he had what's encouraging here is he had 10 called strikes with the fastball. Uh, so that shows me that, yes, he, he was able to hit the zone. He was able to hit the strike zone. He was able to hit some of his spots. He only had five called strikes on that fastball in his last outing. 
So he's still relying on the fastball a lot. He was still working on his fastball command, it seemed. I mean, these are basically like spring training starts for McKenzie, where he's just working on stuff. The results don't matter as much as how's the stuff look, how's the stuff feel. Uh, Francona said, you know, he felt bad having to go out there and get him, but he asked him one important question, how does the arm feel? And McKenzie said, good. So that's what we're going into the offseason with Tristan McKenzie. At least the arm feels good. And he talked about, Mandy Bell had some quotes from him talking about how hard this season was. And yeah, you do have to imagine that this was a pretty rough season for Tristan McKenzie. And we we just you gotta hope uh you gotta hope pitchers you never know you never know what what these guys are gonna do physically what kind of injuries they're gonna sustain what kind of effect it's gonna have you just have to hope that he's gonna bounce back strong next season and come out of the gate and be a factor for us next season because when McKenzie is a factor for us it completely changes this pitching staff. I would say more than Bieber at this point. Like I, th- I think we know what we could get from another year of Bieber. Again, if he stays healthy. Uh, but I, th- I think we all know how a Bieber start would typically go. Uh, most of the time, he's going to hit that six-inning mark and run out of gas. He'll usually get into a jam late <laughs> in the fifth or sixth inning and work his way out of it, and that will be the end because he'll use up a ton of pitches. Um, for uh, And then, of course, he'll have a couple of games where he gets blown up. Uh, for McKenzie, uh, he could. I think he he has a better chance at uh, chasing that Cy Young and getting back to that Cy Young level than Bieber does. I don't know if Bieber's ever going to get back to that. He'll always have the strikeouts. I just I don't know if Bieber's going to get back to Cy Young level without that velocity uh, coming back. McKenzie, he could still be that dominant strikeout pitcher he still has really wicked stuff and I I think there's he's so young still that I think there's hope that he could he could get there he could get to that level the 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 level that we've been waiting for him to get to his entire career still 26 years old oh man um yeah I still got a lot of faith in McKenzie uh and, and a lot of excitement for what his future could hold so uh, it was good to see him out there healthy again. It was good to see him have a much, much, much more competent start than he had against the Orioles. Uh, this this looked like a major league pitcher again, and uh, it's a good sign going into the offseason. All right, what happened to Eli Morgan and James Karinczak? They both get blown up in this game. I mean, McKenzie keeps us in the game. He doesn't last very long, but he keeps us in the game. And it's Eli Morgan who gets blown up, giving up three hits, two earned runs over his inning. And then Karen Jack, it's not the hits. He only gave up one hit. But it was uh, uh, three walks that really did him in. And then Curry comes in uh, and can't hold things down. He gives up a hit with runner, you know, with all those inherited runners. And and so technically a lot of Karen Jack's runs come in and score because Curry was in the game. So, uh, But he put him in there. He put him in that situation. So let's start with Eli Morgan here. And frankly, Eli Morgan's percentile rankings at StatCast page is still pretty good. He's in the 94th percentile for average exit velocity. He's in the 93rd percentile for chase rate. He's in the 90th percentile for hard hit rate. So there are some some encouraging things there. Uh, His pitch run value is down at minus 2, though, the 35th percentile. Just his overall run value is down at minus 2. So not too great. Last year, 
Last year, that pitching run value was in the 60th percentile. He was uh, plus five. And his expected ERA and his expected batting average were way up there. Uh, expected batting average was in the 89th percentile at 200, uh, 200 expected batting average against him. His expected ERA was in the 85th percentile at a 290 expected ERA. So those things were way up there. The chase rate actually fell. The average exit velocity actually was worse last season. The hard hit percentage was worse last season. He's gotten better, at least as far as the percentile rankings go, in those categories. While, meanwhile, uh, you know, some of the other peripheral uh, percentile rankings have gone down. Uh, so, yeah, it's a little bit hard to uh, judge uh, just what Eli Morgan is. Again, 27 years old, so yeah, still kind of young for a bullpen arm. Um, but uh, looking over his uh, his stack cast page, seeing some of the things that have changed here, looking at pitch location, uh, he used to get that fastball at the top of the zone. He used to throw that four-seam fastball way up at the top of the zone. This year, the heat map at least is showing me that he is much more in the heart of the plate with that four-seam fastball. Uh, the uh, It's no surprising that the batting average against that four-seam fastball has jumped significantly this year. Now, batting average is up on all his pitches, but I think the fastball is the biggest difference here. They go from hitting 205 against his fastball to hitting 304 against his fastball. That's a huge jump. Now, they, they did slug pretty well against this fastball last year. Uh, they slugged at 436. So they when they were hitting it, they were hitting it for extra bases. This year, that slugging is up to a 557. So there's a big jump there. Uh, the launch angle is more of a line drive. Uh, they went from a 27-degree launch angle on his fastball to a 20-degree launch angle. So much more of a line drive swing against him. Uh, the whiff rate on that fastball has also fallen. The put-away rate has fallen. I guess that's more of a problem. The put-away rate went from 20.9% of the time he was putting hitters away with the fastball to only 13.8. So, yeah, I would say uh, he's got to be able to locate that fastball back at the top of the zone. Uh, The line drive percentage hasn't really increased too much, but the ground ball percentage has increased against him, uh, which I thought was interesting. I was expecting that line drive uh, to increase. Uh, The fly ball rate has definitely gone down, though. So I told you that launch angle changed. That fly ball rate has gone down from a 33.1% of the time to 25.1%. So uh, I'm guessing he was making a a lot of outs in the air last year that he's not getting this year. Um, and again, just, just to, uh, kind of emphasize it, the four seam fastball last year had a plus two run value this year as a, it's at a minus one. His changeup has actually flipped. It went from his change, his changeup four seam fastball and slider have all flipped from last year when he was, he was a very good bullpen pitcher last year. Uh, Eli Morgan's, uh, fastball went from a plus two to a minus one. His ch- slider went from a plus three to a minus four run value. But then his changeup flips the other direction. His changeup went from a minus one to a plus three. So, uh, whereas the changeup gets a little better, those other two pitches get a little bit worse. So, nothing really changes as far as spin goes or anything like that. Um, but yeah, uh, I think that fastball, I think locating that fastball, getting that fastball out of the middle of the plate and getting it back to the top of the strike zone will probably have an impact for him. So, uh, that's. That's one of the things that's going on with Eli Morgan. Also walks. 
Also, walks are a big problem. He went from, in about the same amount of innings as last year, he went from, last year he was at 13 walks to 72 strikeouts. And in 66.2 innings pitched. This year he's at 67.1 innings pitched. So pretty much the same there. Uh, He went from 13 walks and 72 strikeouts to 24 walks and 75 strikeouts. It's a a significant increase in walks there. There's a significant change in the strikeout to walk ratio right there. Um, He's given up way more hits too. He went from 46 hits last year to 73. So yeah, that whip went from a 0.89 last year to a 1.44 this year. So Eli Morgan uh, not not having uh, his best season. But I, I honestly think Eli Morgan is fixable. I know a lot of you and some of you emailers have made it very clear that you are done with Eli Morgan. I think Eli Morgan is fixable. I don't know if I could say the same thing for James Karinchek. So uh, jumping over to him, obviously he, he spent a lot of time in the minors over the last few seasons. Uh, he just... I mean, he had 11 saves in 2021. There was one point where Karinczak uh, may have been the closer on this team. And in alternate reality, Karinczak could have been the closer on this team and not Emmanuel Classe. Uh, so what happened to Karinczak over the last few seasons here? Uh, frankly, uh, the hard hit percentage hasn't changed. The, the walk rate hasn't really changed. He's always been bottom of the league in walk rate. He's always been double digits. This is this year was his highest walk rate. The strikeouts have fallen pretty consistently. The strikeout rate, he used to be top 1% in the league when it came to strikeouts. Uh, at one point, he got it up to 48.6% strikeout rate. Now he's down to 30.4. So the walks have slightly increased uh, up from like 14, 13% up to 16.4% walk rate. And the strikeouts have fallen. So, yeah, that's going to have an effect on you. Um, the other thing, uh, with James Karinchek, man, that fastball gets hammered. Uh, that fastball, it doesn't have a high batting average, but man, they slug off it when they do make contact. He gives up a lot of home runs, mostly off of that four seam fastball in 2020 and 2019. He gave up one home run over those two seasons. Even last year, he wasn't giving up home runs in 2022. In 2021, he got hammered. Eight home runs given up via the four-seam fastball, one on the curve. This year, it's four home runs on the fastball and two on the curve. And if if he would have uh, you know, pitched in as many games as he did in 2021, I'm guessing those home runs probably would have kept going. Uh, so, yeah, so they, they do slug off his four-seam fastball. You know, I know a lot of people are going to look at the movement on his curveball and, you know, say that's the result of the sticky stuff. And it, it has fallen. I mean, he used to get it to drop at 54.2%, uh, 54.2 inches of vertical drop. Now it's fallen into the 40s. This year was at 46.9. Um, but, you know, that's been kind of consistent over the last three years. I still think the problem is the forcing fastball. The velocity has fallen on that four-seam fastball. He used to throw it at 97. In 2019, he came in and was throwing it at 97 miles per hour. He was averaging. 2020, he averaged 95.5, 95.9 in 2021, 95.2 last year. Now it's on 94.8. That velocity on that fastball has consistently fallen. And I just, when he was popping the radar gun at the top of the strike zone, 
with that forcing fastball, and he was blowing it by guys, and then they still had to stay honest on that hammer curve, uh, that 12 to 6 curve, you know, they would say. That was a different pitcher than the guy we're getting right now. So, you know, he could be a little wild with it when he could get the velocity up there at that point, and they had to be a little more reactive to his pitches. But with that velocity falling, I, I don't think it's I don't even think it's the movement that much. I mean the curveball still moves. That curveball still drops. Um yeah, I just the the fastball I think is a bigger problem. Uh it went from having a plus twelve run value last year to a minus six this year. Uh yeah. So Karen check, I'm okay. Can, can I figure out exactly what's wrong with him by looking at his StatCast page? No. No. Uh, obviously, the walks have always been a huge problem for him. Um, he Giving up home runs been a big problem for him, but he used to balance that out with the strikeouts. And as the strikeout rates fall and the velocity on that fastball falls, you just it's not the same combo. You know, I hate to tell a guy, throw harder, right? There's a lot of complicated things in that. So I don't know why, you know, Carl Willis and the pitching staff, I'm not saying Carl Willis in particular, but Carl Willis and the pitching staff has been so good with some guys, right? They're able to turn De Los Santos into a great pitcher. They're able to, they for a while, they had Trevor Steffen fixed. For a while. I, I know it's fallen apart at the end of the season, but for a while, they're admitted. Trevor Steffen was something for a while. Uh, why they can't get Karinchuk, why they, I mean, why they can't break this guy down and build him back up. It just, it's, it's a shame. I mean, it's a real shame. I, I know, I know personality wise, head, you know, head case wise, there, there's a lot of things going on there with James Karinchuk. I know some people aren't just not a fan of the guy. Um, but as far as a pitcher goes, he was something when he first came up uh, to the point where he was challenging class. A. I already said it, but he was challenging class. A for that closer role. And now to see kind of what's happened to him as a pitcher, it's like, man, real wasted opportunity right there to be something. I mean, Karen check, if he would have continued on the trajectory when he first came up, him and class A should have been the most dominant one, two combination in all of baseball to end a baseball game, right? Eighth, ninth inning, uh, you know, as good as I'm thinking back to Milwaukee when they had Gavin Williams and Hader closing out the end of games. Um, you know, that's the most recent like one-two punch I could think of that was just absolutely dominant to finish off a game. So, uh, yeah, uh, Karen Check and Klasse should have been that, and it's just it's a damn shame uh, that his the pitching side of Karen Check has fallen apart as much as it has. So. Can I fix Karen Check by looking at his StatCast page? No, I cannot. It'll be up to the Guardians to decide, can we fix this guy? Or do we just have to move on? And like people have suggested, just, just non-tender him a contract. Just, just let him walk and let some other team deal with him. All right. I know you're thinking, David, you didn't talk much about this baseball game. But again, the, the Guardians played one of their worst baseball games of the season. I mean, the, the pitching wasn't there. The timely hitting wasn't there. They wasted some opportunities early when they they could have jumped on and they could have scored. I mean, Naylor with a double in the first inning, uh, but Calhoun pops out. 
Uh, they get back-to-back two-out singles in the second, but Cam, of course, Cam Gallagher brings Cam Gallagher up, and he brings a rally crashing to an end. Uh, Jose Ramirez got thrown out trying to stretch a single into a double again. Uh, you know, I, I, maybe Jose's legs are just running out of steam. I feel like that's happened a couple of times recently. Is that the second time that's happened recently? Um, it was nice to see... Uh, Oscar Gonzalez get into the game and actually put some good swings on the ball uh, when he gets into the game here. I, David Fry, I believe, went on the paternity list. So congrats to the Fry family. And it gave Oscar Gonzalez a chance to get a few at-bats here at the end of the season. So he pinches hit, pinch hits in the seventh inning. Actually crushes one. 105.9 mile per exit velocity, 404 feet to dead center field. 890 expected batting average. Would have been a home run in six out of 30 ballparks. But not Tigers Field. Uh, Tigers Field. That was a long time ago. <laughs> not Comerica. Um, and also, it wouldn't have been a home run in Progressive Field either. So, uh, who knows? Tiger Stadium, it might have been a home run. Um, so, yeah. So, Oscar Gonzalez. Uh, and then gets a single uh, in the ninth inning to kick off the ninth inning at 106.4. So, man. I mean, when Oscar Gonzalez was something, uh, man, that was a good times. And, uh, again... Someone you hope a new coaching staff, a new hitting instructor, you got to still have a, do not go into next season banking on Oscar Gonzalez to be one of your starting outfielders, right? You can't do that. You can't. We all want them to go out and get some outfielders, but I think Oscar Gonzalez probably has some options left and you hope uh, whatever hitting staff, if Valeka does get replaced and they, you know, new coach brings in a new hitting coach with him. You hope they can fix Oscar Gonzalez because if Oscar Gonzalez can turn back into something, into something and be the best of Will Benson and Nolan Jones and, and because that's what we did. We banked on him being better than those two guys and we let those guys walk and Richie Palacios, uh, we banked on Oscar Gonzalez being the best of them and then he ends up back in AAA for most of the season. So if a new team can, uh, a new coaching staff can figure out Oscar Gonzalez and get him to stop chasing pitches down and away and start hammering these 100 plus mile per hour exit velocity shots. God, that would be such a nice, such a nice thing to happen for this organization and for a really nice young man. And uh, speaking of that, it's going to get me into Marlon's email. Like Marlon rants for a while at the top of the email. I'm not, I'm not even going to go there. Um, he did say during last night's game, the TV crew mentioned that Jose and Oscar Gonzalez were going to work out and practice their hitting together this offseason. They also mentioned that they only live 15 to 20 minutes away from each other. It got me thinking about other players on the team. I would love to see Arias Jimenez, uh, Arias Jimenez, Rocchio, working out with their fellow countrymen in Altuve, Miguel, Acuna Jr., Salvi, all of whom will be heading to Cooperstown when their careers end, except for possibly Salvi, he says, though I wouldn't entirely rule this out. Yeah, Salvador Perez has been a, a big part of the American League uh, catching. I mean, he's been leading the All-Star game multiple times. He's been leading Kansas City for a while. Uh, anyways, back to Marlon's email. I'd love for them to pick their brains about their approach to the game and getting help with their offense as well. What better way to improve than seeking out help from all-time greats who are all still active? Yeah, it is going to be interesting to see. I mean, the offseason Arias, Jimenez, and Rokio have is it's going to be very important heading into next season. Uh, 
but yeah, uh, the fact that Jose Ramirez wants to keep mentoring Oscar Gonzalez, they are countrymen. They do live very close to each other. In fact, when Andre Knott went down and did those TV segments about Jose Ramirez, I think he also visited with Oscar Gonzalez there briefly. Uh, that would be huge. That would be huge. Uh, if Ho- Jose just, man, if a little bit of Jose's plate vision and his plate discipline and knowing how to attack the pitch you want to attack could rub off on Oscar Gonzalez, that would be huge. So I hope it does work out, Marlon. I hope it does. Marlon also gave Jose credit for his hustle. He says, in the 8-0 blowout loss, he should be commended. This play sums up why all us Guardians fans love him. It would have been very easy for a player of his caliber to jog to first, mail it in for the day, and accept defeat. But that's not who Jose is. Hopefully, this front office will do everything in their power to improve this roster, get him his World Series championship. I hope Jose will prove you can be a star who stays at home and doesn't have to move to South Beach to win championships. Marlins got jokes. So that's Marlin in Birmingham. And then Bob in Highland Heights uh, was continuing kind of the conversation about the radical change uh, that he's expecting. He says, uh, this is the bad news or old news. We are a weak hitting team. Uh, His core that he sees is Quan, Josh Naylor, Bo Naylor, Andres Jimenez, and Jose Ramirez. He says that leaves four open spots for the starting nine. Uh, Everyone else should be class A and the starters. Then everyone else should be expendable. Uh, in my opinion, we need two outfielders, a DH, a real backup catcher, a decision at shortstop, and at least one bullpen arm. Yeah, you know, Robert, I'm considering the shortstop part of the core. I just don't know who it's going to be. Right, Arias, Rocchio, Tana, Brito, probably are your top four contenders. But one of those guys will eventually, hopefully, be a core player because we've touted all those guys as top prospects. They've been top prospects in Major League Baseball rankings, not just our organizational rankings. So you assume that one of those four guys will become part of the core. So that's why I don't I don't see that position as a radical change because it's going to be internal. Um, he's worried about next year, Bob in Highland Heights is. He says, I love Francona, but it's time to move on. I suspect next year will not be good. So he's worried about the new manager coming in. I don't know, Bob. I think if they make the right decision... At manager, there is a playoff-ready baseball team here. With the pitching we have, with that core you just talked about, I think if you add the right pieces in free agency, if you add that outfielder that can hit in the middle of the lineup, this is a playoff-ready baseball team. So if they bring the right manager in, I suspect next year will be pretty darn good and continue that positive trajectory that we've had for most of Francona's tenure. So I'm a little more optimistic than Bob in Highland Heights is, but I appreciate the email, Bob. And we will see if they fill those outfield spots, how they go about it. The DH spot, you're right. Uh, Don't forget Manzardo could be that DH first base rotation with him. So that, again, that's an internal, uh, I don't consider that radical change because that's an internal way of filling that position. Um, All right, that's all my thoughts. Uh, I think, I think that was a, Interesting podcast, right? For a for the one of the worst baseball games of the season, I think we were able to put together a decent show, right? All right, that's all my thoughts. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland baseball morning again. The final, yes, I have to say it. It's just how the show works. It's the Tigers eight, the Guardians nothing. We'll be back tomorrow, or maybe who knows? Maybe late tonight to finish off this season. One more game left, and your final starter at a three ten start. It's gonna be Lucas Giolito against Rodriguez for the Tigers. And if you would have 
bet that I would have said that the final start of the Cleveland Guardians 2023 season would be pitched by Lucas Giolito. If you would have made that bet at the uh, at the beginning of the season, you you would be a you would be a fortune teller because absolutely nobody saw that coming. Uh, I would ask you what the lottery numbers are going to be next. Um, all right, so you can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. I don't know why I'm still on Twitter, but hey, it's it's still an easy way to connect with me. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. The easiest way to connect with me. Give me your thoughts. Let's talk about this team. Talk about what you're expecting going into the offseason, and we'll discuss it on the show. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. Baseball Morning.